Good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet and uh, I'm here in the studio with Josh. Uh, Josh's family, Josh, Josh squeaked in late because his family is in from Louisiana. Uh, Patty had a lot of trouble getting from the bedroom into the living room to call in. Uh, Patty, you're there with us? <laughs> I'm here. Oh, good. Uh, we, we always appreciate your rushing to get out of the restroom and, you know, the congestion in the restroom. And, right, yeah. right. It's, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, horrible news this week that we got. Uh, Monica Roberts, who she was last on our show in May, I believe. Uh, Monica passed away. She was 58 years old. And there's Which is a, my age. I was just, I was like for years thinking, wow, we were the same cohort mm-hmm. or in the same time and yeah. wow so uh, police are not releasing a cause of death which means that they're investigating it as suspicious um, the, the two possibilities are kind of funny Monica would appreciate this that it was either a hit and run or a sudden heart attack now if it was hit and run you came up with a theory on what that could mean well, I, I mean, it's a, it's just so sad all the way around, and she's such an icon in the oh, community. I, I cried. I can't tell you how many times I, I cried this was, weekend. I, I was just couldn't. I was so shocked. I was numb. I couldn't believe it was true. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was thinking, wow, it was. We learned on a Thursday, and she had died on Monday. Monday or Tuesday? I, right. I think she had posted on Monday. So yeah, Monday evening. She posted about seven something. Yeah. So Monday evening. Um, but the the idea that she could have, you know, the one story is that she went outside to take her trash out. And was hit by a car. Right. And, and made it back inside. Now, I, I have no idea. We're filling in some of the details there. Because the other possibility is it was just a sudden heart attack. Yeah. Or aneurysm. or uh, I'm hoping it's that and that nobody was after her. Right. Right. That's... So it was a friend of hers, Dee Dee Waters, uh, who, who discovered her, her body when she didn't hear from her for a couple of days. So, uh, but they're not releasing information, which means that they're investigating it as if it's a possibility. Um, Monica, for anybody who doesn't know who Monica was, she was on our show a number of times over the last five years or so. Uh, she was a, a transgender journalist blogger. She's probably, and she's being recognized as a journalist. That's what everybody is calling her. Yes. It, and it's interesting, her obituary was in the Washington Post. It, it was on CNN. Uh, the sheriff of Houston said, the sudden death of Monica is a huge loss. Because of her commitment and willingness to work with us today, we have a stronger bond in this community, or with this uh, community. Um, you know, w- when it's the sheriff, of a county who's giving the accolades to a transgender journalist who didn't cut him any slack. No, no, she did not. And she she was um, um, memorialized in um, messages and tweets from the, not only the Harris County Sheriff, but the Harris County Judge, mm-hmm. um, from Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, just, just on and on, mm-hmm. um, and you know what? I think one of the one of the major things she did 
um, she really embraced and just took it on herself to do the kind of reporting that wasn't being done mm -hmm. um, nationally on the the repeated ongoing murders of black trans women and, and particularly black um, excuse me and trans women and then particularly black trans women she was just looking for transgender murders it's just that the bulk of them are black transgender women uh, but she report on trans men who were killed and there were some uh, and have been some uh, there was one this year uh, white transgender women it didn't matter their color it's just that that was what the bulk of them were um, what she'd do is she'd look at newspaper reports from all over the country and when she'd see a newspaper reporting something like a man in a dress was killed she'd say stop that or she somebody that she knew in Houston who was killed uh, or, or elsewhere because she traveled all over um, she investigated these things. She would call local people in the community, in the local community, and talk to them and try and, to get the story. And, and when she got, when she saw they were giving the name, and the name was not the name that that person went by. Right, the de their dead name. So here's where Monica made a difference and why the sheriff is grateful to her and any law enforcement. Dallas police listened to Monica for their investigations. Monica um, said, okay, you've told me police. You've told me that the first two days of the investigation are the most important. Now, if we're going to spend those two days misnaming this person, misgendering uh, them, misgendering them and misnaming them, uh, calling them, you know, Joe Smith, when nobody knows this person is Joe Smith, but I might have some information, but I don't know Joe Smith. Oh, you mean Monica Smith. Oh, well, I have information about that. And then it's too late because the, the trail is cold by then. So what Monica said was, because it's important to investigate immediately, get the name right, get the gender right, identify the person as the way that person is known, and some people might come forward with information. And you know what police said? Police who, who were decent and, and who cared and wanted to get these solved, they said, you're right. And it was Monica who did that. And she really set the standard journalistically as well um, for how do um, how journalists can best um, honor the lives of those murdered with dignity, mm -hmm. um, not murdered with dignity, but tell their stories with dignity and give them dignity in death, mm -hmm. um, and not just in in life, but be able to to speak of them in a way that um, was respectful of who they were. Um, and, and how they identified. Mm -hmm. And um, I think she really made an impact. I know... Oh, you know, news organization. The Washington Post is saying she made an impact on their reporting and how they reported on the murder of a transgender person. Uh, I, I mean, that, that sets... She helped set the journalistic standard for how you report on, on uh, a transgender person. Uh, AP style is based on what Monica told them. Yep. She's, I mean, just an enormous impact. And one of the things, um, I'm, I'm kind of choking up thinking about it. Oh. Um, you know, she was just a force of nature. Mm -hmm. Just, there was no stopping her, and she was going to tell you exactly what she thought of you, and you were going to love her for doing it. And, um, you know, when she correct you, just step right out and say no. 
that's false. That's not the way to, to talk about this, and that's not true. And um, do you know? Even in my own reporting, I, I called Monica several times. First of all, to get information on uh, some of the deaths that she was reporting on. But uh, I'd call her, and she called me for the Dallas murder. She called me, and you know, uh, and, and relied on our reporting and relied on our assuring her that Dallas police were taking like Malaysia's uh, murder seriously. Um, and you're referring to Malaysia Booker. Malaysia Booker, uh, who who was killed a year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's some of the things she did. She was a board member of Black Trans Advocacy, which is a national transgender organization for uh, black transgender men and women based here in Dallas, but she was on the board of that. She co-founded the National Transgender Advocacy Coalition. Um, do you know, her, her, she founded her blog, Transgrio, uh, back in 2006, and that's where she wrote about all of these deaths and other things in the transgender community. She's known for reporting on the deaths uh, and discovering this abundance of deaths within and murders within the trans community. Uh, do you know what Grio means? Because her blog was called Trans Grio. What? Grio is a West African term, and it means... Uh, every time I talk about Monica, I get upset. It means people who preserve the traditions of their community. That's, that's awesome. That so fits. Uh-huh. That so fits what she was doing in, in our community. It, and what we're doing in the gay and lesbian and transgender community and bi and transgender community uh, with our archives up at UNT. It's such an appropriate... I never knew what that term meant. Uh, and I don't know, I never looked it up either. It was one of those... In the back of my mind, I need to look that up one of these days. And I finally did. Um, here's what CNN said about her. She provided a blueprint for the national media on how to report about trans people with sensitivity and empathy. Yes. What a beautiful epitaph. Yes. Yes, I'm just... And I'm just so blown away because... I, I really think she was hitting her stride. She was really just hitting her stride. Mm -hmm. um, she'd been doing this work for decades, um, but she had just, you know, just very recently received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Houston GLBT Caucus, mm -hmm. which is, you know, quite a force in, in Houston politics. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I remember going by her Facebook page to congratulate her on that because it was so very well-deserved. Okay. And here she was... You know, just really, I think, hitting her stride. She, there was so much more um, that she had intended to, to get done and just struck down in, in the prime of, of, her, um, of her life and her work. Now, if you want to do something in Monica's memory, do you know what her last post was? Vote. She said, I can't wait till October 13th. Yes. And let's vote. Let's vote. Go vote. Go vote. And I know we're not supposed to uh, uh, do calls to action, but this is a go vote. I don't care which way you vote. Just go vote. Go vote. And um, I, don't, I think that's a legitimate call to action <laughs> on, a, on a radio station like ours. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it, this, is a, this is a time and, a, and a, an occasion when um, we can best honor her mm -hmm. by turning out en masse and in droves from the, the TLGB community mm -hmm. and, um, and, and really honor her by, 
by getting our ballots, voting, and, and you know, by little pieces we put together her vote and um, so that she will have voted in this election. Oh. But like Monica told police, the first two hours, uh, two, the first two days of a murder investigation are the most important. So get it right at the beginning. Don't have an agenda about who somebody is. You want to solve every murder. And a police department, like the Dallas Police Department, I can tell you, uh, from gotten, having gotten calls from them and speaking to them when I had information to pass along, they want to get them solved. Yes. You know, when, uh, when we list, here's the detective in charge of this investigation, that detective has no other motive other than solving that, that crime. And uh, so help them. Give them a call when, uh, when, they're, when they're asking for help and you have information. Um, did you know Monica before she was on our show? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I cannot even remember in the last 20 years um, attending any sort of rally, um, lobby day at the oh, Capitol. Oh, lobby day always with um, Monica. I'd lo I loved walking through the Capitol with Monica because she had this way of walking by certain legislators' offices and just giving them a mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Monica. They knew her well. They did not like seeing her coming down You know, long. Monica's... Mm-hmm. I have to fold my arms when I do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she was a, um, she really was a force, a force of nature. Um, and hearing her speak was just inspiring. No matter, I always look forward to hearing her speak. Yeah. Um, I went down. Erin and I. Last time we heard her speak in person was um, when she received um, an award from Equality Texas, and now they're re they're naming that award for her oh. and in honor of her. And um, she's, she's just a powerhouse, and it was just a, the room was just electric hearing her speak. And she, she was just um, amazing on every front. And I'd see her also at journalist conferences, uh, LGBT Journalist Association. She had won their award. Uh, she won the Glad Media Award in 2016. But I'd see her at these conferences. The last one was uh, in, Houston, in uh, Orlando, the last one that I went to was in Orlando uh, and we went to see the Pulse uh, nightclub uh, memorial oh wow I, I mean thinking about that and then thinking about Monica it's just we're not going to talk about Monica next segment because I can't take too much of this well you know and, and just a few weeks ago I received something in the mail that I had ordered and I'm so thrilled to have it um, there was a, a T-shirt with a sketch of her portrait mm -hmm. on it that said, um, Black Trans Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And the proceeds from this, the sale of this shirt were going to um, uh, black, black Trans Men and Black Trans Women, mm -hmm. Inc., Mm -hmm. um, in support of their work. And we, we've had them on the show so many times. Mm -hmm. And she was very active in those organizations. And um, so it's, it's just a real treasure to have it, that now. The conference was held just at this hotel right here across the street from our studio. <laughs> uh, we, we never synced up to have the conference and us here where they could just walk over here because we can't have guests in the studio right now. Um, you know, I saw her at... Um, 
I can't tell you how many different events, and it was always just wonderful to see her. Monica, you're going to be missed. So so completely missed. Mm -hmm. you're I'm, not, I'm not really ready to be in a world without her. I know, I know. Because there's nobody to replace her reporting. No. I mean, she was the preeminent transgender reporter and respected by every news organization around the country. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet. I'm in tears over my friend Monica. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet, and uh, Patty's with me today. Uh, Josh is behind the board. Josh, um, turn your mic on a minute. Okay, your family's all in from Louisiana because of the hurricane. Yes. They're safe? They are safe. And you, you have these wanted guests for how long? <laughs> <laughs> Till Wednesday. <laughs> that's not bad. So they didn't have damage? No, they didn't. Okay, They're just waiting good. on their electricity to return. <laughs> well, that's rough. And two, you know, when we talk about <laughs> they're in here for the, your relatives from Louisiana are here for, for the hurricane. Mm -hmm. It's like it could be any hurricane because they're <laughs> the poor <laughs> state of Louisiana and right. especially coastal Louisiana has just been hammered. Yeah, this is hammered. record number. Yeah, yeah, this is 10, just 10 unbelievable. And every one of them causing damage. Mm -hmm. Every single one of those hurricanes, you know, like mowing down entire towns and, you know, killing electricity for how many thousands of people. So what town are they, do they live in? My family is in Lafayette in New Iberia. And uh, so, yes, they, they kind of lucked out with Laura, but this they got a little bit more... <clears throat> So wow. that 12 miles makes a difference in Louisiana. <laughs> but their house is okay. But their okay. house is okay, yes. Okay, okay that's good. Well, Howley, that's a blessing. That's yes. a real blessing. So uh, the debate this week, who won, uh, Kamala or the fly? Uh, Kamala. <laughs> I, I kind of thought the fly won. <laughs> that's all I was looking at when it landed on his head. I was walking around the house going, look at this, look it up on my, because uh, I was watching it on my computer on my left. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a surprise, and it, you know, I saw several people who are big Trump-Pence supporters um, saying, well, it was only on there for a frame. And I'm like, mm, nope. no, Longer that's, than that. that's about four minutes, actually. <laughs> I've never seen a fly just land and just stay there. Wasn't buzzing around. He was just listening. Well, like, you know, some of us could say that he was attracted by the stench of, of, the, of the, um, the horse manure of being spoken. Okay, so one criticism of Kamala could have been when... Or criticism or um, applause to her for this. I, I'm speaking here. Yes. Applause, for sure. He interrupted her 47 times. <laughs> In 90 minutes, she, he interrupted her for four, 47 times. It still wasn't as bad as the week before, though. Well, yeah, in relative terms. All he had to do was stand there and stare at the camera, and he would have been better <laughs> than the unhinged, you know, bizarro show. That it was, that it, his boss it was 47 times. 47 times he interrupted. How many did, did she interrupt him? Cause 13. She, okay. 13. So. So, so when she said, okay, I'm speaking here. <laughs> okay, so last segment, I'm in tears. This segment, I'm just hysterically laughing. I'm the one who's in unhinged this show. Um, do you think some people saw it as she's being a pushy, you know what? 
Yeah. Oh, I know it. I know they have. Yeah. Um, and I and it's well. Josh, Josh took it that way. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, but I, you know, even even there are many white women out there, which is really appalling to me, who are cr- criticizing her for not um, deferring to a white man. And you know what she's supposed to do? Curtsy, you know, for him. In the end, it's, it was ridiculous the criticisms that she's sustained. In the end, they both spoke the same amount of time. Yeah, she reclaimed her time as the debate went on. Um, and when I say same amount of time, it was within seconds, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, I forgot which news organization. I think it was CNN clocked it uh, and, and said it, it really was within ten seconds of each other, which you can't get more exact than that. But I, you know, I, I want to go back and look at that. Um, there's a transcript that follows by the, with a time um, stamp on it mm-hmm. um, because I don't know how they even counted that when he st- when he actually shut up or when. He was asked to, to be quiet and move on, or when the, the completion of his two minutes was over. I don't know how they, they recorded all of that, because it, it sure seemed really lopsided to me when he would drone on and on and not answer the question. He didn't answer. I don't think you like him. <laughs> I don't like him, but I don't... He, he didn't even respect the rules of the debate that he agreed to. Mm-hmm. He didn't even approach uh, respecting those rules. Uh, um, and he lied but, through his teeth the entire time. But for someone who feels like she was just being pushy, don't we want somebody who's the leader of the government to be a little bit pushy? Oh, I, I definitely do. Um, and I thought she was incredibly restrained, considering um, the fact that he wasn't answering any of the mm-hmm. questions. I mean, he, uh, you know, Susan Page from USA Today was the moderator and and asked him question after question after question. He would change the subject and literally ignore the question and just use all of his time and more to answer a question of his own choosing. And then he didn't answer uh, the question asked of him, and he complained that Kamala didn't answer his question of her. Well, she's not there to answer his questions. That's crap. Okay, so his question is about packing the court. And, and he totally ignored the question from Susan Page that said, well, what are you going to do about protecting people with pre-existing conditions if the Supreme Court rules against... Uh, oh, I didn't think he ignored ACA. it. I thought he answered it fine. No, he changed the subject. Exactly. <laughs> I thought he answered... they have no plan because they're 100% behind. They want, they want two things stripped from the, the Affordable Care Act. The provision protecting pre-existing conditions... <laughs> And the restraint on insurance companies from charging what they wish based upon your risk. So they're literally going after people with pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. And he just ignored the question because he can't answer it. It's, it's so obvious. And that was his answer. But what is your plan to protect people with pre-existing conditions? The answer was nothing. The answer was their court packing. They want a court pack. Okay, so let's talk about court packing for a minute. One of the criticisms of court packing is that um, we've had a tradition for almost 250 years. How many Supreme Court justices were there when this country started? None. Well, once, they, once we appointed Supreme Court justices. I believe there were 11. And then it went down to? Nine. Uh-uh. Six. Oh. Was it six? It was under FDR that it went up to nine. Oh, it came back down to six and then went to nine. Uh huh. 
Wow. So the idea that we can't change the number of Supreme Court justices is completely false. We can, and I believe it's up to the president. I'm not sure whether Congress has to agree to that. <clears throat> well, it's, it's, I, I would presume that Congress would, but who knows? There could be loopholes in there. But at the same time... But we uh, do have a history of doing that. Yes. So. Yeah, that's, see, all the more reason not, not to... Now, they're not answering it. Does that bother you at all? No, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, I don't think they have to answer it. It's a it's a hypothetical. It's just a complete hypothetical. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we want to look at court packing, you know, this so-called president has packed the court with unqualified people, and because they have enough votes in the Senate, they're able to push them through. Uh, people who have never, you know. Um, um, participated in a court trial ever are being put on the bench to preside over one. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who have really, really extremist views that are, that are clearly um, not in the spirit of our constitution of equality under the law. Um, so you believe in equality? I do believe in equality, yeah. And you believe that judges should have some experience? <laughs> Yes, I do. You believe a president should have some experience too? Uh, oh yeah, and and relevant experience. Well, that's what I'm. Not I mean. as a loser businessman. Uh. <laughs> loser businessman. Not that you're endorsing anybody right now, <laughs> Not because anybody. we don't do that on the. Air. Um, now the vice presidential debate is usually inconsequential. Um, the biggest line that I remember from another pres vice presidential debate was. Uh, Ross Perot's running mate who said, who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> because it was this person that nobody had ever heard of that was uh, put on the ballot with we Ross Perot. We don't even know his name now. <clears throat> you know? Oh, I just thought of it and I, it, it escapes me. But but seriously, I can't think of another line from a vice presidential debate oh, that yeah, I remember. Lloyd Benson. Oh. You are... Um, you're no Jack Kennedy. You're jo I no knew Jack, Jack Kennedy. Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was my friend. You, sir, are no Jack Kennedy. Uh, and that was to Vice President... Um, potato. <laughs> potato. <laughs> Quail. Quail, thank you. Okay, so a vice presidential debate, it usually doesn't change voters' minds. But this year, I think it, it's important. Either, uh, pre either one who is elected will be the oldest president inaugurated yes um they're both in good health we'll talk about the president's health in just a moment uh but they're both in, seem to be in good health um that but, we know about that we know about uh but biden is 77 he'll be 78 when he's inaugurated uh which means if he serves a full four years he'll be in his 80s yeah I know how I feel in my extremely late 30s, and I'm not sure I could do the, <laughs> do the job. It's exhausting. It's an exhausting job. If you look at a picture of Obama when he was first inaugurated and when he went out of office, he aged more than eight years. Oh, yeah, and they all do. You see it from George W. Bush and the, the before and after, or the start and the end. Mm -hmm. um, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush. Bill Clinton came out of office, had a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, but they people going, oh well, you know, 
they're, you know, Biden's going to be old. I'm like, well, you know, Mitch McConnell's older than dirt, and he's still in power, and mm -hmm. nobody seems to think that's a problem. And in fact, the <clears throat> not the, a problem. But what I'm saying is, did this vice presidential debate make more of a difference because of the age of the presidents? No. In fact, um, the, the the vice presidential debates rarely move the needle ever in either direction. And, and I, I'm saying, I get it that they normally don't. Right. I think they were important this year. Because well, especially we, since we're not going to have any more <laughs> debates. <laughs> Okay, so is Tuesday's debate between Biden and Trump definitely canceled? Yes. Okay, so Biden's not going to even show up for it. Yeah. He's not going to do the town hall thing? He's going to do a different event. Oh, okay. But he's not going to do that one. And it certainly won't be with Trump. No, you know? Trump has already said there's no point in doing it. Yeah, he's, he's against it. He doesn't want to be... Yeah, you know, the last time he was in a town hall... Trump was. Mm -hmm. He got eaten alive. It was just uh, maybe 10 days ago. Ah. Two weeks ago. Okay. And he got eaten alive because people, real people, were asking him questions and he couldn't hide. He had no control over them whatsoever. And he likes control over the question and the answer. Now, one of the things uh, is, though, this is one of the first times I agreed with something Trump did. There is no need for another debate if it, if it was going to be anything like the first one. Yeah, well, true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so he pulled out of it, and I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I wasn't going to watch it other than for the entertainment value, and that's not what a presidential debate is for. Well, you know, and he, and he you know, basically, you know, outlined why he wasn't going to do it. He said, oh, they want to do it remotely, and they want to do it on online in a, you know, like a Zoom uh, setting and he goes, and that's ridiculous to sit in front of a computer because you know they can just turn your mic off anytime, and that's what his concern is. He won't be able to um, disrupt. Well, that was pre-planned. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I mean, his behavior at that uh, debate—he hadn't talked about or discussed or practiced any debate questions particularly. Maybe he had a few lines to throw out, but those were just his regular lines. He just talked nonstop. You know, it, that was his whole strategy. A and to interrupt. Mm -hmm. With Hillary, it was to disarm her by walking around, creepy behind her. We didn't realize at the time that that was planned, but I'm sure that was planned too. Mm -hmm. uh, this time, he couldn't do that, so it was, well, just interrupt anything and everything Biden says. Yeah, because he didn't have anything else. That was all he had was the interruptions. Well, it was well prepared. Well, <laughs> and well executed. Obviously. It's like, I don't know if he can pull this off, interrupting all it, all the time. Like, it's a one base, basal brain skill he can do, <laughs> is interrupt. <laughs> uh, um, it just, okay, so did we get anything from that debate, the vice presidential debate? Um, no, but a great fly... You know, it's I, my favorite was the the meme with the fly with the uh, the with the um, descent collar. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think there were a few things that came out of it. First of all, the the election does still re revolve entirely around coronavirus. Uh, that was the questions. That's what even when it wasn't the question, they went back to. Um, 
I, I think that's an important thing. Whereas the the uh, election between Hillary and Trump, what was that about actually? Well, it, it wasn't about an issue. Well, it was about his competence, and she was proved, you know, and absolutely right in her warnings. I, yeah, but it wasn't an issue going on in the country. It, it, that was between Certainly not them. like coronavirus. N- not not that kind of a. Um, one of the things NPR says is that uh, the candidate's strategies reflected the state of the campaign. Uh, Pence attacked Biden-Harris as extreme, and Harris pivoted to Trump's record on coronavirus. Uh, and it shows how the campaigns are working. Uh, Trump doesn't have anything just like he didn't last time, and oh, uh, her emails, or Benghazi been back. And Harris kept coming back to coronavirus. Uh, you know, you failed on this issue where cases are increasing. Uh, we're, we're much worse off than we were four years ago because of your handling of coronavirus. You know, yep. Nobody's blaming the coronavirus on him. It's his handling of it that, that they're blaming people on. Do you think well, most people got that? I, oh, I think so. I think they see it every day. In their own. He's bleeding white women with educations. He's bleeding elderly people. Those over 65 who helped put them over the top last time are going, uh-uh, I don't believe you on coronavirus one bit. There is no cure. There is no, um, you know, it's not trivial. It's not, oh, get it. I'm better for it. I'm better. I'm coming out better having had it. And, you know, it's like, that's crap. They, know, they have dozens and dozens and dozens of friends they've lost to this disease and who have been debilitated if they survived. And... They know the truth, you know. All Americans know the truth. They just, it's, it's whether they, that's okay with them or not. Well, why don't we talk about the miracle cure in a minute? You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet. I'm here in, uh, at uh, KNON with uh, Patty Fay. I'm saying can, at KNON, she's at home. <laughs> uh, had trouble getting to the living room where the computer was. but I made uh, it. You did? I made it, yeah. <clears throat> and... and Traffic was bad, huh? <laughs> the, the the litter of pups in between me and the, uh, the computer were just amazing. A uh, uh, pup traffic jam. <laughs> it happens. Uh, we'll talk about the miracle cure right after this. Uh, and welcome back to Lambda Weekly. I was just talking to Patty on the phone. Uh, what is the name of that drug that Trump took? Trump has been cured, miracle cure. He says. Uh, steroids, Regeneron's drug, and... Remdesivir. Remdesivir, thank you. Um, and um, remdesivir is a drug that was developed through AIDS research. Mm-hmm. doesn't work on HIV, uh, but it does work on retroviruses, which coronavirus is a retrovirus similar to the HIV virus. Uh, and it does seem to have some effect. <clears throat> uh, the drug from uh, Regeneron doesn't seem to be a problem that it came from fetal cells. No, in fact, the religious right have said, no, no, he wasn't involved in that abortion personally. So that's all good. Which abortions was he involved in? Do we know yet? I don't know, but, you know, the fact that it's coming from fetal And what's really a kick here is that there are 275 people in the clinical trial for that, that um, antibody approach. It's an antibody cocktail. 
and um, based on stem cells. And there were two. There are 275 people in the in the study um, to, right now getting this drug, um, and so that they can be tested. So we have 330 million people in the United States. Um, 275 of them, less than in the U.S. House, um, on this drug. He was the 276th person because he appealed for compassionate use to the drug company so he could get it. And then he has the gall to say that that's a cure and that everybody has it, can get it. That's it's insane. It's the insanity, the unhinged insanity, not based in reality. He's not tethered to crap. Uh, and he's telling the American people this. The spokesperson for Regeneron uh, was on Face the Nation this morning, and he said it would take six months if this was uh, going to be ramped up for general use. It would take six months and a lot of cooperation from a number of other companies to produce what what's needed to be produced. Now, to be fair, um, it was developed through stem cell use, and it, those stem cells will not be necessary in future development. So each time uh, you, you have a dose of this, you don't need to have stem cells from another aborted fetus. Right. So it's not like it, it's generating a new industry. Uh, but originally when George uh, W. Bush banned the use of stem cells in research, um, it, it was pointed out that no, you take a certain amount of uh, stem cells, they regenerate themselves. And you can keep using the same lines over and over and over again because it grows and grows and grows. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's not like, oh, let's see, we'll have to abort uh, how many million babies in order to have enough for a, it, it doesn't work like that. So right. for, for anybody who uh, is worried that, oh my God, how many, how many kids are they gonna kill? It's not happening. Yeah, that's not how it works. And two, this de dexamethasone is a powerful steroid um, that is given to people who are well into the disease progression of coronavirus, of COVID-19. And it's a very powerful steroid. Oh, incredibly powerful steroid. And what it's designed to do is once your own immune system is not able to handle um, the course of this disease, then they give you dexamethasone because it's going to try to knock out your own immune system. And really how coronavirus, this, this coronavirus is working is it triggers your immune system to attack, um, uh, to basically attack your lungs and other um, body organs. And what you need to do is stop that immune response to, um, to the virus and it's the, it's the react the body's reaction to the virus that kills people. That's basically it. So you want to shut down that immune response that's inevitably going to occur. Uh, but you only do that at the late uh, when it, when it's really a serious case. And dexamethasone is not given to people who have it for three days and are declared free of the virus. It just doesn't. Dexamethasone is one, not one of those cases. Have you seen his performance the last week, though? Oh, he's been. He, he is he's so hepped up on drugs. He's, he's high as a kite. <laughs> he thinks he's invincible, and he's out there selling it. You know, and he had an event at the on the White House lawn yesterday with no precautions taken whatsoever, no social distancing, no masks, 
And that's what his message is to the American people. I haven't screwed up my handling, my, my handling of this virus at all, but I'm going to continue to mishandle this virus on a daily basis, hour to hour. Mm. And behold, my mismanagement. I'm having a bunch of people here with no masks and no social distancing. Again, you know, so you know, let the American people see the truth. It's right there in front of them. <laughs> and voting begins Tuesday. It does. You know where I'm going to vote? I'm voting right near my office. <coughs> I'm going to vote at American Airlines Center. Oh, wow. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be. I mean, uh, maybe some of the Mavericks will be there uh, as poll watchers. Uh, um, it, it'll just be fun. Mark Cuban, as part of a settlement with basketball players at the beginning of the season, uh, the renewed season, um, Mark Cuban and other owners agreed to open their venues for massive, socially distanced uh, voting centers in the city. Mm -hmm. Because basketball arenas are entirely in the city. They don't move out to the suburbs like football arenas do. Um, and the idea is to get city voters to get out and vote in numbers. So I'm going to vote at American Airlines Center. I think it'll be fun. You can take the train there. Other voters in the oh. city can take the train from anywhere in Dallas. You it, can park. There's a stop right at American Airlines Center. Or you can park. In, it, it'll be marked which uh, high-rise uh, parking lot you can vote. You can park in for free to vote. Normally $75 to park in that lot, <laughs> but it'll be free. Uh, go vote and do it in Monica's memory. That was the last post that she posted was uh, she couldn't wait until October 13th. But she wanted everybody to vote. <clears throat> so, yes, I'm going to vote No matter what year. side you're on. And, exactly. And, and when I say that... People think, oh, well, yeah, uh, sure, you want every... I do. I want everybody to vote. Because if I knew a majority of people wanted to keep this government, and I'm not talking about a majority of voters, I'm talking about a majority of citizens, I, I really think... I like Australia's system. If you don't vote, you get a fine. Yeah, everybody is... Everybody votes. Mm -hmm. Everybody votes. Uh, a record number of people have already voted in early voting. There have never been this many people who voted early. And the first, the first <coughs> few days... Compared to 2016, across the country where early voting is taking place, 5.6 million people had voted compared to 75,000 people four years ago mm -hmm. on the same day relative to the election. And early voting hasn't started in lots of states. Like you said, it right. doesn't start here in Texas till uh, Tuesday. Uh, during the week from um, Monday through Saturday... Uh, early voting places are open 7 to 7, and on Sunday they're open... 1 to 6. 1 to 6. Um, but every weekday and <coughs> Saturdays, the early voting is going on. It'll finish on the 30th. Um, then that's 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your chance to get out there, and, and, and if, you're, if you have a mail-in ballot, you can bring it to the Elections Department, which is at 1520 Round Table Drive which is over by Regal Row and 35. They have a, a drive-through where you can turn in, you have to bring your ID, uh, you have to bring your ID that, that you would use for voting, and a driver's license would be fine, uh, bring that in person with you and turn your ballot in there. So you don't even have to use the mail, uh, the US mail system, the postal system. You can bring it there, have somebody drive you, um, and you can do it right there. You don't even have to get out of the car. They come up to your car and take your ballot. Mm -hmm. And put, and it, put in. it into a locked box. Yes. 
Okay, we, we're ending our shows here in Kanoen uh, 10 minutes early uh, in order for us to wipe down the counters, to change the windscreens on our microphones, and to make sure everything is safe for people coming in the next hour. Uh, Josh is careful to do behind uh, the, the board. I do this side of the board. Patty does her living room furniture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, before we go, I want to give you, because uh, this, this has been an exhausting show, a moment of cute. I went to the Dallas Zoo this week, and uh, I saw Bahati's three little cubs. Bahati is the lion that was used for the, uh, uh, for Simba in the film The Lion King, the new version of The Lion oh, King. Oh, that's cool. So Bahati had three lion cubs. They were born by cesarean section. So she's off exhibit, and uh, Lena, the grandmother, Bahati's mother, is the one watching over them, and it's so cute to watch her and... As they walk over to her, she gives them a big lick and she puts her arm around them. They are so cute. The cubs are about a foot long right now because uh, they're only a few weeks old. And uh, they're just something. They're so cute. So if you want your moment of cute, it's worth going to the Dallas Zoo just to see uh, Zeewee and uh, Elola. And I can't think of the third one's name. And people think it's weird, but I know the zoo animals by name. Because <laughs> <laughs> I go that often. Anyway, for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week. Go vote. Go vote. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you got worries, all the noise and the hurry seem to help.